Welcome to Kesson and happy Easter to you. I, uh, I'm very excited to be here with you today. Uh, Andrea and I are going to be sharing the message with you. So I just want to say hello to our deaf community that's here today as well. Thanks guys for being here. Uh, to everybody watching online, uh, thank you so much. But especially, uh, welcome to people uh, who are guests who, uh, let's just be honest, you're just, you're just giving church another shot because uh, church is a messy place. Uh, over the years, there's been a lot of churches that have played a lot of games, and uh, it didn't go well for a lot of us who grew up in the church or, or knew people who grew, 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 grew up, growed up, <laughs> who knew people who grew up in the church. Um, and, uh, and so today is, is, is maybe like, like awkward for you because you're like, I cannot believe I'm in church right now. Um, and I just want to say welcome, that, that we recognize that mess, we recognize that uh, church done well, led by God. It's supposed to be a house of conversation. It's supposed to be filled with people with different worldviews. It's supposed to be filled with a little bit of tension because we're all kind of living out our stories uh, beneath this sun that our God created on this planet that he made for you, who he designed just as you are. And I just want to just start off right away by recognizing the courage and uh, the willingness to just sit in a room like this. And so uh, thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm grateful. Um, we are, uh, we're, we're going to do something a little different today. This is a very simple Easter service. Uh, we have a lot of artists that go to Kessid, so uh, we do all sorts of fun, creative stuff that we do just because, again, that's how God made us. We're not doing it to, to, to put on a show or to impress. It's just us living out who we are uh, before God. And every single artist that I, that I worked with, every person who put together this service felt the exact same thing, which was we're just going to make it simple and straightforward. And so it's basically just you, me, and the Bible today. And uh, it has been mind-blowingly powerful in every service. Now that said, uh, I can't guarantee it's going to be mind-blowingly powerful in this one because each service was custom to the people in the room and you showed up. So I believe in a God who is alive and I believe he knows you're here and I think he's going to tweak this message or at least the way you hear it to apply directly to you. And that's my only request is that you bring all your stuff today. Don't bring your best self. Don't, don't bring your best smile and, and, your, and your, your best Easter dress, which is wonderful, ladies. They look great. But just bring all your stuff. Bring your, bring your critiques. Bring your accusations. Bring your excuses. Bring your cynicism. Bring it all. Bring your, your blessings. If you are someone who God has just revealed himself deeply uh, in a recent season, bring that. If you are someone who God has just utterly disappointed you, bring that. If you don't even believe in God, bring that. Bring it all. And let's just see what he wants to do with this room and these people that are watching online because uh, so far it's been really special. So, so I'll get started with a question. This is a very simple question, and this is what we're going to spend uh, our time answering. If you were to take your life up until now and, and really spend, you know, a day or two kind of journaling and, and working out what your life's sort of theme would be, what would you say is your life's greatest pursuit? What would you say is like the thing that, that people around you and that you would say, you know what, this is what my life's about. This Easter, what I want to do is offer two things to you that I think your life can only be about. Now, I think it can be about a lot of different projects and a lot of different seasons, but really only two kind of overarching themes that your life can be about, and that's either you or God. There's really nothing else left. 
If, if, if it's about like your hobby, your passions, your legacy, your loyalty, that's fine. That's, your life's about you. If it's about the kingdom, if it's about what God has in store for you and the way he made you, if it's about his desires and his designs, then it's about God. But I don't think anything else that we try to uh, unlock can fit inside any other category than your life being about you, my life being about me, or my life being about God. And that's what Jesus comes to do. He comes to split those things up and give us proper perspective of what in our life is about him and what in our life is only about us. We have to let the Easter story be the real start of when he starts to define the difference between living for ourselves or living for him. Living for our own greatest pursuits instead of living for the person of Jesus. With that in mind, I want to pick up the Easter story uh, right where we left off on Good Friday. And by the way, uh, our Good Friday service this year was streamed, and if you didn't see it, uh, you should go back and watch it, because it was, it was just, it was awesome. It was such a hot mess. It was just incredible. And, uh, and God just did crazy stuff, and so it's all, it's on the app if you want to check it out. But that's where we're going to pick up. Right from there, right from that hot mess. Jesus is dead. Jesus is silent. And his most inner circle of followers is just dispersed. They're disappointed, they're broken, they're frustrated. Half of them don't even know if he's really the Messiah. The other half are trying to figure out how they can get back the careers they left for him. They're, they're, they're hiding, they're persecuted, and they're just overall bothered, which is like just basically the human condition every day. Just sort of bothered. Like you, you're just kind of walking through it and you're doing your thing, but you're like, I just thought it was gonna be different. I thought when I got married it'd be different. I thought when, when we had the baby, it'd be different. I thought when the kids moved out, when they moved out, it'd be different, but they just keep coming back. <laughs> and you're just disappointed in the Lord over that. <laughs> uh, the people, these people, the disciples, they're no longer pursuing Jesus the same way. And so in a sense, they're pursuing themselves, slowly returning to who they were before. But everything's about to change. Because Easter is a celebration of the resurrection story and how it pushes itself in and around the human condition. And so we'll pick up in Luke chapter 24, verse 1. I'll read it over you. Verses are on the screen. It says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood before them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day and rise." And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Verse 12 is what I want to focus on. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened, because obviously Jesus wasn't there. This is the beginning of something that's still happening today. It's the beginning of Jesus Christ defeating death and pursuing those who are overwhelmed and underserved by the human condition. 
This is the gospel's good news of Christ, and it's been pursuing you and I all the days of our lives. Yeah. It is the message. If you hear nothing else but that today, that's the message, is that Jesus isn't in the tomb, that he's not a dead story, that he's not a historical figure, that that you can hear about him and decide what you want to think about him, but it doesn't change the reality of what his message has been doing for 2,000 years, and that is finding human beings in their most broken space and bringing wholeness through his love. Now, brokenness is a thing that is, is kind of messy inside the church because we use it to manipulate people instead of recognizing simply a wail within our soul for something more that Jesus comes and holds. It isn't that you are not valuable. It isn't that you are not worth it. It isn't that, that, that somehow you need to perform all these special acts in order to dance a jig before the cosmic God who says, that dance was good enough, child. It's about a God who comes and sits with you It's about a God who sits and holds you. It's about doing what we as parents have done for our children, hopefully from the very beginning, just recognizing them, although I can't fix it all, I can sit in it with you. That's what Jesus does on a cosmic level for the human beings that he created and that he loves. The problem is that in spite of Jesus pursuing us, we as humans rarely pursue God in return, and if we do, it's usually just in very short bursts that are often public that make us look better than we really are. Instead, we chase our own ideas and insecurities. And I can show you that in another version of this exact passage. The one we just read was Luke. Luke meaning he was the one who wrote it. Now, it doesn't say Luke was there when this happened, so clearly Luke had to hear the version of the story of finding the tomb empty from Peter. So Peter is describing to him what happened when the ladies came back and told him that Jesus was there, and Peter's like, so I got up, and I ran to the tomb, and I went inside, and I need you to know, Luke, make sure you get this right, because details matter. There was no Jesus. It was just cloth. He's not there. And Luke's like, great. I appreciate that. Thanks for your account. Well, there's another version of the story from a different perspective, and it's from the disciple John. John was the one that was described as Jesus' beloved, or the one whom Jesus loved. And he also writes the story. And this is what he says in John 20, verse 1 and 2. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. I'm sorry, what? John was there when Peter got news of the tomb? Why wouldn't Peter have mentioned John was there, the one whom Jesus loved? See, these stories in the Bible, they are written with the Spirit, but they are also written by humans. They are written by people who understand what it means to be in the mud and the muck, and so we have to read them from that perspective. And you have to ask your question, isn't it interesting that the book of Luke doesn't mention that John was there at all? just says that Peter raced and marveled. The author of John goes on to say this, verses three and four. So Peter went out with the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. (laughs) And Peter's like Luke. It was amazing. Jesus isn't there, by the way. That whole thing with John and the foot race, can we just, I've been working on it, and it's just... It's not where I want to be. I've been stressed. Jesus has been gone. I wasn't feeling good that day. 
Could we just, maybe just, can we just deal with me and what I dealt with? But John's like, no, nah, I'm going to tell the whole thing, Peter. I'm going to tell the whole thing, bro. And you, you and I were both excited running to the tomb of Jesus. But here's the reality. I got there first. There's really no reason to have this in here. Does who want a foot race to Jesus matter? It does if it speaks to the reality that every human being will fall into a place of competition with other human beings whenever Christ is not clearly at the center of their life's pursuit. It's just how we operate. If Jesus is no longer the focus, the first thing we're going to do is go, I don't have anything to, to compare my life to. Jesus is holy. Jesus is love. Jesus is goodness. Jesus is calling me and my family and my person into relationship with him. But when I get distracted and I lose sight of Jesus, even, even uh, going to an empty tomb where Jesus isn't becomes a competition with, guess who? Each other. We start comparing with each other. And we're like, well, what's your pastor like? Well, I'll tell you about our pastor. Well, how big is your church? Well, I'll tell you this. Well, did you grow up in church? Oh, you didn't. Uh, did, you get, did you do this? Have you done this Bible study? Compare, compare, compare. And not even just church-related. How about how much money you have? How fit are you? How fancy is your home? How, what kind of car do you drive? Do your kids behave all the time or at least in public when it matters? <laughs> They can be a mess at home, but I tell you, when we're at the mall, you better march in line, Missy. Because I want to make sure everybody knows that my TikTok life is real. We don't know for sure, but it feels like John and Peter have some relational stuff between them. And so consider, since this Easter, you're putting yourself inside the story in order to evaluate what's your greatest pursuit? You, are you your greatest pursuit or Jesus? Consider this. How many of yourselves find your life in this part of the Easter story? And I'll put it on the screen. Pursuing a sense of accomplishment over others instead of the one who is above all else. And just so you know, when you compete with other people, you will never, ever, ever win. There will always be someone richer. There will always be someone more beautiful. There will always be someone with kids who march in a more straighter line than yours, even at the mall and at home. There will always be somebody else. But when you compare your life with Jesus, the only thing you receive is grace and love and arms wrapped around. Look at what happens next. Verse five. We're not, we're not skipping any verses. This is just the story and it's raw. And stooping to look in, this is John's perspective since he made it there first, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him. And he went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloths which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then verse 8. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first? <laughs> it's like I wrote this. This is the kind of stuff that I would be like, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. John makes sure to let us know that he beat Peter twice. It also notes that John only accounted for his own belief. He didn't say Peter didn't believe. He just didn't include that he did. Even more separation, more clarification. He's the winner. He's the better. Later that evening, after appearing to Mary Magdalene, Jesus appears to the rest of the disciples in the upper room. He shows them his hands and his feet and his side, and Scripture says when they engaged with him in the room, it literally describes them as glad. That's the word, 
it says Jesus showed up and they were glad. In a sense, they now know, I'll put it on the screen, Jesus is alive. But how this will impact them has yet to be fully experienced. Consider how many of you find yourself in this part of the Easter story. You are pursuing the happiness of Christ. You're pursuing what it is he brings in your world. But instead, you miss out on all the identity he's offering. You're basically just here for the blessings. You're just here, you're just here to kind of to get the, the, the peace of mind that the Jesus you know is alive. Yeah, he's alive. I show up. I engage. And I'm not talking about church attendance, by the way. Don't mistake. I think coming to church on Easter is absolutely uh, an act of heroic bravery for most people that, in the way that we grew up in church. So I, I don't in any ways minimize people who show up to church once a year or twice a year for holidays. What I actually have a harder time with are people who show up all the time but don't actually let any of the transformative work show up in their heart because they're just here to check a box and say, ah, God sees me. And he knows that I'm not trying at all on the inside, but I look great on the outside. And I think that that upper room experience was a little bit like that because we know that the identity piece has not been fully received due to what happens directly next. Peter decides to go fishing with a few of the other disciples. He's returning to what he knows. Consider how many of you find yourself in this part of the Easter story, feeling a draw to be who you were before in spite of knowing that Jesus is alive and pursuing this is just an honest conversation that more Christians, especially people who are following God, need to, to, to confess that you may be out there doing great things and Jesus may be your best friend, but stop pretending like there is not another version of your life that's always calling you just to step over for a second and indulge yourself. There's some peace about just going back to what you know choosing yourself instead of him, creating your own legacy instead of him, getting back in the boat to row out to where you used to be a big deal. And this is exactly where Jesus finds them. This is exactly where he's going. The disciples see Jesus when he shows up on the shore. And when he first called this group of disciples, he told them, hey, you're not catching any fish. And they're like, no, crazy person, leave us alone. And he's like, put your net on the other side. And they did, and the boat was full. And this is how Jesus said, one day you'll be fishers of men. So he's gonna go back into that same place. He's gonna meet them back in that same place. And so he prompts them to fish on the other side of the boat, just like he did when he first met them. Peter is the first one to realize that it's Jesus based on this very obvious illustration. And instead of just, you know, emptying the net or getting all the fish in the boat and rowing ashore, he just jumps in, in all his clothes and starts swimming. Now, I don't know if you figured it out, but people who are fast on land are fast in water. People who are slow on land are not, you know, any faster in water. So my guess is that Peter jumped in and just kind of did the best he could and the disciples probably got the fish and just rowed by like Peter. Why? I don't understand. I don't understand. That's just my opinion. I think they got there and you're going to find out that Jesus made an entire breakfast for them already. Hot fire, bread, fish, the whole thing. Everybody's probably hugging Jesus, high-fiving. They have a seat and they just wait for Peter, right? Slow and soaking Peter to come up and just sit probably furthest from the fire because he's the one who denied Christ three times and the one who was probably the most ashamed to be there. There's people in this space right now your life right now could very easily be defined as slow and soaking. 
and you love God, but you've made some choices and you've put some stakes in the ground and you've said some stuff and you've experienced some of those consequences and now you've come to a place where you're like, there's no way God wants anything to do with me. And I'm just here to tell you, you are completely wrong. That there is an entire campfire of conversation he wants to have with you. If you will simply stand up, dripping wet where you are, and come sit next to him. There's actually more people, I think, in this service than the rest of the services that are experiencing this. So we're just going to take a minute, because I want to make sure you hear me. For you to know that you are slow and soaking is a huge blessing because so many people don't realize how desperately they need Jesus. And those are the people that just live this sort of lukewarm life where everything's kind of shiny and tightly wound. And I think those are the people actually that are much harder for the Holy Spirit, if you will, or the sermon that I'm giving to hit because it kind of bounces off all the performance they built around their life. But you, whoever you are, who's changing the room, who's taken up all the time in the message. You know you're slow and soaking. And you know that this God is waiting for you, but you just don't want to stand up out of the water because it exposes the drenched parts of your soul. And I'm just here to tell you that's the main parts of your soul that Jesus is an expert at making whole. And he's waiting. And, and, and this sermon isn't going to like finish and then him go away. He's just waiting. He's waiting tomorrow morning when you wake up. He's waiting when you're driving to work. He's waiting six months from now when something happens to remind you of those things when you denied God or built a life different than God. And it's like Jesus is like, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I want to talk about that, but not for the reason that you think. I want to talk about it because of how much I love you. It says they have breakfast. It doesn't say there's any conversation before breakfast. It's important you realize that. That Jesus passes out food to everybody, even to Peter. That they eat, apparently, without talking. Probably because they all know that, that's, that Peter should probably go first. He should probably confess what he did. And, and it, it's quite obvious he's different than the rest of us because he's soaking wet and a little chubby. So, you know, I just don't... Like, he's different. But I'm just here to tell you as well that, that you don't ever have to go first. That Jesus will always go first. That he will always come and find you where you are. And so this is what happens. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to them, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter, probably barely being able to make eye contact with wet hair drenched running down his face, looks back into the eyes of the creator of the world, and he says to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus responds with, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time after a few more bites, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And then maybe he lets like 15 or 20 seconds go by. Just enough for Peter to think, I denied him three times. He's asked me twice, which means there's got to be a third one coming. Everybody else sees it coming as well, and so just kind of swallows the bite in their mouth and then waits for the awkward final exchange between the soaking, wet, and slow disciple and the creator of the world. And then he says to him a third time, Simon, you know at this point Peter's like, 
Son of John, do you love me? And this time Peter decides he just can't stand it anymore. And he says to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. So Jesus lets the awkwardness of Peter's boisterous response fade. And then he leans forward and says, feed my sheep. And then he goes on to say, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said two words to him. And I'm sure he said it quite loud so that everyone could hear, follow me. We've all heard this story. We understand its overall redemptive meaning. Jesus asking Peter to clarify his love three times, the same number of times that Peter denied that he even knew Jesus when he was being drugged to the cross. So please consider today, how many of you find yourself in this part of the Easter story with Jesus redeeming your greatest mistakes by returning them, turning them into the clearest examples of how much he loves you. Your excuses are the only reasons you need to actually follow God. The idea is that he's a savior, meaning you need to be saved. Now, if you don't think you need to be saved, if you're like, no, 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 I'm fast and dry. I'm not slow and soaky. Then great. Then we've answered the question about what your life's greatest pursuits are. And it's you, ma'am. It's you. So everything you do, you're accountable for. Every hurt person you hurt, you need to make sure and manage. Everything you accomplish, you need to make sure and uh, make sure that it, that it lasts, which by the way, it won't. You can't, no one does. But it's you if you're fast and dry. But if you're like Peter, then you know that you know that you know that Jesus wants to do more in your life. And he wants to do it through the things in your life that have hurt you the most. He wants to do it through the power of your story. And you don't even have to do it in a shiny way. I'm going to tell you something. This is the truth. I don't know if I've ever spoken it out loud like this. As a pastor, I do a lot of marriage stuff. I work with a lot of marriages. I'm going to tell you something that might seem offensive. But I will take a freshly remarried person in a marriage built on the right thing, so somebody divorced, than a person who celebrates their 35th wedding anniversary of hatred for all these years they've ever been together with this person. Like, I know so many people who've been like, my wife and I have been together for 34 years, and the kids are like, they've hated each other the entire time. That was a real conversation I had. And they're like, we, we really have actually not liked each other, but we were committed to the covenants of the Lord, for the Lord hates divor divorce, he hates it. And I'm like, the Lord also hates whatever this mess is that you're trying to tell everybody is love. I will take somebody who has gone through hell to recreate their story with someone else in a fresh perspective way and owns the fact that this stuff happened. And I frankly would say so would just about everybody else. You and I have stuff in our story that we need to stop hiding. We actually just need to be leaning into it and being like, yep, used to do this. Still want to do some of that. And I do this every once in a while, but not as much as I used to. And this is how much God loves me. Because anybody can relate to that mess. Anybody can relate to those stories but nobody wants to follow a couple married for 35 years, expert at how not to kill each other. That's like their expertise. 
I don't believe the gospel is intended to be lived out that way. We're not supposed to be people who talk about all the things we don't do as Christians. We're supposed to be people who talk about all the things we do do as Christians in spite of the stuff that still damaged us back then. This is what the Easter story is speaking to. And yet, even in that space, we're supposed to ask bigger questions about how we process this world now. Even if you believe all those things, and I want to show you this in Peter, we are still supposed to be clearly focused on Jesus, not ourselves, because ourselves never stops pursuing us. It says there's a long pause. I can just, you can feel it in the story after the meal. Maybe they clean up, and maybe Jesus decides, hey, let's take a walk around the sea. Let's just, let's just walk along the coast. So they're walking along the coast. Maybe Jesus spending time with different, different ones and, and different people creating space. And then it says this. This is the very next verse after verse 19. It says verse 20, after Jesus said, follow me. They're walking along. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the fast one. <laughs> Peter can never lose him. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? Verse 21, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this guy? <laughs> it's amazing. Like, he's like, what about him, God? Did you hear what he told everybody? He told them all. What about him? We do this all the time as Christians. Now, I'm not talking to visitors. I'm just talking to straight up old, crusty church people who just get into that good old feel-good place of being better than everybody else, singing a little more, acting a little higher, raising her chin, right? The haughty eyes we talked about a few weeks ago where you're like, uh, I'm almost better than you and I'm definitely better than you, right? And it's just, a, it's just a vibe. It's just a smell that you put out for everybody. We can follow Jesus, love Jesus, even live transformatively for Jesus. And if we're not careful like Peter, we can still be like, God, you're amazing. You're so good. You're so good. But what about that guy, God? What about that lifestyle right there? What about that? And Jesus is saying the same thing to you. He says to Peter, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Mm, that's some first class parenting right there, isn't it, folks? You keep your hands to yourself. I'll worry about your brother. <laughs> How many of you find yourself in this part of the Easter story, lovingly convicted by God for who you've been watching and what you've been turning toward? Jesus is like, you look at me. We have to have a talk. I, what about her? Nope, nope, nope. I want to spend time with you. I want to have experiences with you. I want to hold you. This changes everything for Peter, his heart, and so what he decides to do and pursue with the rest of his life. At a later date, Peter will be dragged before some of the most powerful men of all Israel. They will ask him, in spite of the way that they have been persecuting him and, and hurting him and the people he's been teaching, why would you continue to preach about this man, Jesus, and listen to the tone change in this man's story, Acts 5, 29. We must obey God rather than men, he says. I choose for my greatest pursuit the Lord. We must obey God rather than men. Even church leaders, even people who seem to have it together, that's not what we follow. What we follow is God. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on a tree, by the way. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. 
He says, we are the witnesses of the legacy of God's story. We are the ones who shed what we want in exchange for what he wants, which is so much more fulfilling, so much more healing, so much more beautiful. And we are witnesses to people, not because we stand on a stage under lights with a microphone, but because we actually go out into the world and don't just talk about Jesus, we actually love like Jesus. We actually create our own campfire conversations with people in our cubicles, on the bus, on our way to work with a stranger. And we start a fire and we get some bread and some fish and we serve people who feel like the only thing about their life that's obvious is that they're slow and soaking. And we go, me too. And we let it all just kind of fall apart. And we feed them and we sit next to them and we go, I want to tell you why that's so special and so powerful and so beautiful. I want to tell you why you can transform your life, your family, and your world if you'll just see in me the beauty of Jesus. But you got to see the slow and soaking in order to see the power that he brings. And so you've got to show that stuff. The world doesn't need your shine. You are not the light of the world. You're just a person with a basket. So we are supposed to pull off the stuff in the games. I am supposed to remember this is not the most important thing I do all week. I mean, y'all are important. But I got some people in my life and some stories in my life and some strangers in my life who don't know me from anybody that I need to show Jesus to just like you do. And the only way I'm gonna do that is by just being honest about my slow soaking spiritual self. Jesus is still doing this work. He's still offering this work. He's still pursuing those who've chosen to chase a sense of accomplishment over others instead of the one who is above all else. He's still pursuing those who are grasping just the happiness Christ brings instead of the identity he's offering. He's still pursuing those who are feeling a draw to be who they were before in spite of knowing that Jesus is alive and well. And you best believe he is still pursuing through loving conviction those who've been watching and walking after everything but him. Now I want to be honest that I know that this place that I have that the Holy Spirit has pulled us all to right now, that I, I think most of us can feel in the room, this place is, is, is frightening. Because Jesus, right after this time with the disciples, leaves and sends them out into the world with this message. And they go out into the world following him and his kingdom and his work to do all these things. But I want to be very clear that their shame and their stuff pursues them as well. That they are still the deniers of Jesus. They are still the doubters. They are still the ones that are too prideful and like to mention little things about who's faster. They are all the different things they were before and it goes with them. And so we recognize, I recognize, and I think through lots of prayer the Holy Spirit recognizes that there's a lot of people over this, this Easter experience that want to participate in this but they don't know what to do with that stuff. And so we're launching a series next week called Heckler that I'm gonna be at for all of the installments that we're going to straight up face shame and the way in which it trips up our stories and it is going to be an absolute hot mess. Yes, sir. And it's gonna be amazing. And you should be part of it because the stuff you're dragging, you don't have to drag alone. You can be in a community of people who see it and know it and get it 
who can encourage and come alongside and love. That's what church is about. It's not to, to, to raise some people and lower others. It's about coming alongside and recognizing we're all the same. And Jesus wants to spend time in our stories to remind us of that. So I'm going to talk to two people in the room. First are the people who've never actually responded to a God who has called them like he is right now. And the second group, and I want you to prepare your hearts, is the group in the room of people who follow God for a long time, but you're, you're just really kind of like stale bread and, and fish with no meat on it. And your, your firewood is cold coal. So let's close our eyes, bow our heads if you like. We will start with the folks who feel God calling them to something more. If you have never accepted this call, this feeling in your life, at least not in this way, I think the simplest thing you can do is just introduce yourself to a God who already knows you by saying, God, it's me. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of hurting myself and others. I'm tired of building my own legacy and pursuing my own story. I've done it all, I've experienced it all, and I'm just as empty as I was when I started. God, I know that through the power of the cross, you paid a great cost for relationship with me. And I don't deserve it. And so Lord, in this, in this moment right now, I'm just gonna ask you to, to fill me with your peace to fill me with your presence, to fill me with your story, to take the things that I've done and use them for your glory, God. I'm gonna ask you to move the obstacles out of the way, the excuses, the things that, that are hurting me that I just don't know if I can get past, the disappointment in you. I'm gonna ask God that you that you sit next to me around this fire of conversation and that you warm my heart, that you feed my soul, that you fill me, God, with your strength, even though I don't know how or where I'm supposed to go next. With everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, the other group of you, and I think there's a lot more of you in this room a lot more of you in this room than there have been in the other experiences we've had. And you're sitting in front of a very, very cold, coal-filled fire with old bread and dry bones. And you know all this, you've heard all this. Nothing I have shared today is new news to you. My hope is that you didn't just come today for a top off that you just didn't come today to, 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 to warm the mug of your life for another round of you building the legacy of you inside the facade of being a Christ follower, but that today something changes in your heart. And that it's, it's a strong sense of God's presence, his arm around you, not your father's faith, not your mother's faith, but yours and yours alone for you. For there are many years left in this life that you're living, many people that you will come across that I believe you are meant to show the hands and feet of Jesus to. And so God, I just pray over those people, just a fresh wind and a fresh fire, a fresh sense of your 
goodness and your love, that, that you are not ashamed or disappointed in them, that you are simply waiting for them to lift their eyes from themselves and focus them on you so that you can smile back and hold them where they are. God, this space is just very sweet right now. And so I just want to allow it to stay in this moment. I, I pray, God, that every person in this room truly isolates themselves before you, doesn't consider all the other things around them or the responsibilities they have, but instead, Lord, can sit in this moment and experience your presence and your face-to-face -face love. We thank you, God, that you meet us where we are as we are. And we lift this beautiful space to you now. Amen.
thank you guys so much for uh, joining us this Easter Sunday. I hope you have a great rest of your day, a great rest of your week. Consider uh, coming back for the launch of the new series next week. I'll be here to see you, and uh, God bless. See you soon.